so there was a guy, he was doing a parachute jump, and he, he jumped out of the plane, he was hurtling through the air, and he was pulling the thing to try and get the parachutes open, and nothing was opening. So he oh no. And as he's hurtling through the air, a guy's shooting up from the ground up, shooting past him. And he's seen this guy coming up past him. And he shouts to him, do you know anything about parachutes? And the guy shooting past him said, no. Do you know anything about uh, gas boilers? <laughs> um, we're like gas boilers. You know, when you think of a gas boiler, you can have different types of gas boilers. You can have a scenario where you've got a gas boiler stuck on a wall. And the gas boiler has got no pilot light on. And, you know, that, I mean, it's, it's got all the potential to be an effective gas boiler, but no pilot light. It's just a machinery. It's just a thing. Uh, I mean, it's still incredibly well designed, but it's not alive. Or you could have a gas boiler where there's that little pilot light on the inside, and you know that gas boiler, it's now commissioned, it's effective, it's it's ready for action. It's ready to do something. Um, but then you could have a gas boiler that's ignited. It's in full flame. It's burning. And what it's doing is it's changing the environment. It's changing the temperature in the room. I guess that's a picture of what we can be like when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some of you in this room, maybe you're just like the gas boiler and there's no pilot light on. Maybe as yet, You've not yet connected with God. Maybe God isn't a reality for you. Because I believe when God comes in your life, it's not that you've just got religious. It's not that you turned over a new leaf. It's that literally you go from death to life. When you connect with God, you come alive. You come alive on the inside. It's undeniable. If you've seen someone before salvation, then after salvation... They are now alive, and you can tell it. It's tangible. It's not just they have different opinions. They are alive. You see it in their eyes. There's a flicker in them. They've come alive. And listen, if you don't know God, please come to know him today. The ball's in your court. He's done everything for you. He's paid the highest of prices to save you. And, you know, you can just come to him, and he will come alive on the inside for all eternity. Now, most of you in this room have come alive. And that's your story. God came into my life and I came alive. That's your story and that's amazing. But you're like the guy with the pilot, like the boiler with the pilot light on. You're not yet changing the temperature. You're not yet changing the environment in which you exist. And here's what I believe, this is what we're going to speak about today. We're going to speak about this subject called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the baptism with the Holy Spirit is like what happens when you switch the boiler on. It's got the pilot light on, sure. It's alive, yeah. The Spirit of God's there, absolutely. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like you've ignited it, and all of a sudden, it's, it's alive. It's, it's, the boiler's now cooking on gas, and it's affecting the environment. It's now changing the temperature, changing the atmosphere. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. Let's pray. Father, we pray just now as we take some moments to study scripture, and to look at this great subject. I pray you'd speak to us. I pray we would gain not just information, but we'd have an experience. I pray for those who are not yet alive. I pray today, God, please let them come alive.
let them meet you. And I can't do that for them, God. Only you can do that. God, I pray for those who have got that pilot light on, but it's not in full flame yet. God, I pray, would you let that ignition take place today? Let the baptism of the Holy Spirit become a reality for them where they start impacting the environment around them. And I pray for those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I pray today they would have an experience of being refilled again. In Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to take you on a journey. <clears throat> Step one in the journey, we're going to look at the cross, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, a sequence of events took place that triggered things. It's amazing. 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years ago, and yet it transforms things today. Isn't that incredible? That a death on the cross and a resurrection can transform people 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years later. It's incredible, and yet it's so true. And here's why it's true, because he wasn't just a guy dying on the cross. It was God in the flesh. And when it's God in the flesh dying on the cross, then that death on the cross wasn't just a martyr, a hero. That death on the cross was literally your substitution. Literally, your God loved you so much, he was willing to die in your place in order for you to come alive, whether it's 10,000 years later or uh, just right there if you're standing at the foot of the cross. So powerful, so effective, and effective today. We sang it a minute ago. It's the blood. It's that blood takes away our sin. It totally changes us. And it transforms you. It gives you this thing called salvation. It says in Romans 4, verse 25, for he was delivered over to death for our sins, because we're sinners. And he was raised to life for our justification. Justification, I mean, you've been totally justified. It's like you've been acquitted by the courts. You're no longer guilty. You're totally righteous in the sight of a holy God. That means instead of dying and going to hell, you die and go into the presence of God for eternity. That's amazing. So that death and that resurrection triggers something which if you put your faith in him, you get it. And it makes you come alive and then forevermore you're his. That's incredible. So the death and resurrection triggers your salvation. But there's something else that took place 2,000 years ago that triggers something else for you. And that's called the ascension. What happened was when Jesus died on the cross, it was the Jewish Passover, same time as our Easter. He died on the Friday, he was in the grave, and on the third day, in the Sunday morning, he rose from the dead victorious. He spent the next 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, equipping them, preparing them. And then, in front of their very eyes, he ascended bodily into heaven. There is a man in heaven today. He's on the throne of the universe. He's called Jesus Christ. He's our Manny. Uh, he's, he, and the scars are still there. And the blood is still fresh. And the atonement is so real. And he's alive. Very much alive. He's there. Wherever there is. I don't know. But it's real. Okay? Uh, but he's also among us by his spirit. But the Bible teaches that when he ascended, something happened in the heavenly realm which made it possible for an outpouring to take place. Just as the death and the resurrection triggered for us salvation, so also the ascension of the Christ triggered an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter 2, now this is, this is the day of Pentecost. This is when that outpouring took place. The, the early, those disciples had seen Jesus ascend. It's 10 days later now, 50 days after his death and resurrection. 
It's the day of Pentecost. They're in Jerusalem. They're worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them mightily. They have this experience called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people gather because of the spectacle, because they're all speaking in tongues and things are happening. Thousands have gathered and they're saying, what's this all about? And the apostle Peter stands up and starts to preach to the people who have gathered. And he explains to them, Acts 2.32, God has raised Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Lord, and he quotes from Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah, or Lord and Christ. So he's addressing this huge crowd of people right in the Jewish capital, Jerusalem, where 50 days before they just crucified their Christ, they unanimously voted against him. Now he's saying, do you know, this Jesus who you crucified, God has raised up and he's made him indeed Lord and Christ. For, see, it, the, the ascension triggered an outpouring. But also, the, ascension, the outpouring proved the ascension. You see, that day, 3,000 people who were listening to what Peter was saying were transformed. They came alive. They were like boilers who had been just sitting there. Then all of a sudden, a light came on on the inside. They met God. What was it convinced them? What was it convinced them? It wasn't Peter's incredible ability to communicate this message. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was so present there, witness to the truth that he has ascended. You see, the active power of God in our lives is what transforms people around us. It's not our ability to persuade them, to mollycoddle them, or to argue a good case for Jesus. It's the power of God. Imagine you were in a bookshop and you'd seen two volumes of a book that you really liked. And you went and you bought those <coughs> two volumes and you paid the money for it. And then you left the bookshop, shelf, shop, but you left one of the books there by accident. You got home you unpacked your bag and you only had one of the volumes. You think, no, that's crazy. What would you do? You'd leave home, you'd go back to the shop and you'd pick up the other one that you'd already purchased. And this is what I believe happened 2,000 years ago, that his death and resurrection triggered and purchased for you salvation. But his ascension also purchased for you and made possible for you an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it'd be the craziest thing to not make full availability avail yourself fully of what he has made available to you 2,000 years ago. Paul raised the question, and this is the question I want to raise to you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It comes from Acts 19 verse 2. Paul arrives in a place called Ephesus, and he finds some people who believed, and he asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. It's a kind of strange question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Because we understand, if you read the Bible, we understand that all believers have the Holy Spirit. Okay? Just like a boiler has a pilot light. But Paul wasn't asking them, have you got a pilot light? He wasn't asking them, is the Holy Spirit in your life? He was asking them, have you have, not just theoretically is the Holy Spirit there, 
Because a lot of believers out there today, and maybe some of you, you kind of know you've got the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing evidenced in your life to witness to the fact that you have the Holy Spirit. It's theoretical, it's not experiential. So he's asking them not theoretically do you have the Holy Spirit, he's asking them, do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit in an experiential way that you just, I know I've got this. It's evident to all. The Bible calls that experience the baptism of the Spirit. And he goes on and it says in verse 6, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. If you ask them after that point, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They say, yeah, we got it. it wow, we got it. Okay, there was no doubt after that point, they got it. Uh, but before that point, I mean, it's an unusual question. For some evangelicals, they would think, well, every believer has the Holy Spirit, so why even ask the question? And yet the question needed to be asked, and it still needs to be asked today. You believed in Jesus, that got you saved, and God took up residence in your life. But have you experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which brings power in your life and will be evidenced in some way or another, and you will know you got it? That's a question you've got to ask yourself today. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who just died a few years ago, he was a famous church leader uh, down in, in London. And he wrote in his book, Joy Unspeakable, he described the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he described it in these ways. He said, it's like a child walking along holding his father's hands. All is well. The child is happy. He feels secure. His father loves him. He believes that his father loves him. But there's no unusual urge to talk about this or to sing about this. It's just true and it's pleasant. Then suddenly the father startles a child by reaching down and sweeping him up into his arms and hugging him tightly and kissing him on the neck and whispering, I love you so much. And then holding the stunned child back and then looking into his face and saying, with all my heart, I love you and I'm glad you're mine. And then hugging him once more with unspeakable warmth and affection. And then he puts the child down and they continue to walk. This, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, is what happens when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit. A pleasant, happy walk with God is swept into an unspeakable level of joy and love and assurance. It's like the the little pilot lights become full flame and the temperature is now changing. It's It's a level of joy and love and assurance and reality that leaves the Christian so utterly certain of his the immediate reality of Jesus that he's overflowing in praise and more free and bold to witness than he could ever imagine he could be. There are illustrations right through the Bible of, of this thing we're talking about, the baptism of the Spirit. Way back in 1 Kings, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, Solomon built the temple. 1 Kings 8, verse 10, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, a cloud, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord, filled his temple. It's almost like the temple was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth is, the presence of God already was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, there in the Holy of Holies. It's interesting, when you read the description of the temple, there was no windows in the Holy of Holies. There was no natural daylight. It is believed by many, and I could go with this, that the Ark of the Covenant and the actual presence of God illuminated that room. And only once a year would the high priest be able to go into that place in the Day of Atonement into this room that was illuminated by the presence of God. And it was only the high priest that had that experience of seeing that. But then in this moment when the temple was dedicated, it says the whole place was filled with the glory of God. And no longer was just the high priest could see that in the Holy of Holies. 
all of a sudden everyone on the outside looking at this temple at a distance could just see the manifest presence of God on this building. And yet the Bible speaks about us and it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And this is, this is what happens when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. It goes from just being a little flickering flame on the inside of your life. You've come alive. You're no longer dead in your sins. You've come alive. But all of a sudden, you're engulfed. You're overwhelmed. You're empowered. You're baptized with his entire presence. It's interesting. Jesus, you would say Jesus, had the Holy Spirit from birth. Of course. Of course. You know, when he was 15, did Jesus have the Holy Spirit? Of course he did. But he started doing the miracles when he was 30, after the experience when he was baptized and the dove came down upon him, right? From that point on, was miracles start happening. Before that, nothing. And yet, was the Holy Spirit with him? Of course. Okay, next question. What is the baptism of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit? Let me read to you the, the baptism of Jesus' experience in Luke 3, verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, that's John the Baptist, might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all and said, I baptize you with water, but there is one more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. It says in Mark's gospel's version of this, in the Amplified, it says, the heavens tore apart. It's almost like a, an eagerness. In the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came in people. It's, it, the tr- literal translation is the Holy Spirit rushed upon them. Heaven is so excited to give you this experience. It says the heavens were opened and uh, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. John said, you know, it was, it was clear to John, this is the Christ, this is the one that the Holy Spirit came upon. And John said that, that he would be the one who not only would have this experience, but who would give this experience, who would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, the word baptize is a Greek word. It's the Greek word baptizo. It's translated to immerse, to submerge. It can also mean to overwhelm. So let me illustrate this for you. If I had... If I had a dry sponge and I had some water here and this sponge, if, if I was to baptize this sponge, it's, it's dry and then I, I baptize it. Now it's been submerged, it's been overwhelmed, it's, but also you would say the sponge has been filled. You could also say it received the water. You say the water has come upon it. And it's interesting when you go through the book of Acts, it's not just the word baptism of the Holy Spirit is only used a couple of times. Usually it's described as they were filled with the Holy Spirit or they received the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit came upon them. But now that it's, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> eh? I, I get to do this, I'm the preacher. What, what, what's, what's happening now? It's, it's what? It's, so, yeah, I know you're getting wet, but it's, in the analogy, it's, it's, it's overflowing. Overflowing. I wet. 
uh, it's overflowing. And that's the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not only are you immersed and overwhelmed, but you are also filled and now you are overflowing and you're touching the lives of other people. This is the picture the Bible wants us to have in our minds. It's interesting, the word baptize or baptizo in the Greek language, it was commonly used to describe the dyeing of garments where they would take a natural colored cloth and they would baptize it in a dye and they would bring it up and it was a different color. That the cloth would take on the nature of the thing in which it was baptized into. Same with you and I when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what is the purpose of the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Let me just read you a statement, and I think this is accurate. With you to convict, in you to convert, on you to empower. I think that's how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. He's in this world to what? To convict the world. You need Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And God, by his spirit, not just today in this service, but you know as you're lying in bed at night, you know the experiences you've had, you know he's on your case. He's with you to convict you because he loves you and he wants to bring you to God. He's in you to convert. That's like the pilot light's gone on in the inside. But he's on you to empower. And this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is describing. So after Jesus had been baptized in water and then the Holy Spirit came upon him, What was the next thing that happened? Well, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And then straight after that, he went to his hometown. It says in Luke 4, 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blinds. He has sent me to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. From this point forward, you read the Gospels. From this point forward, the most marvelous things started taking place. I mean, incredible. Eyes were being opened. Cripples were walking. Dead were being raised. Incredible. What is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He's on you to empower you. And just like Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I believe That is an example for us that you also can say when the Holy Spirit's come upon you with the baptism of the Spirit, you can also say the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because in Edinburgh, God wants me to set some captives free by the power of God. God wants me to see blind eyes opened by the power of God in the city. That you can, I literally believe, you can see the same results. Not for your glory, for his glory. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart and to some degree I've seen it. And I believe you can see it. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy? Wouldn't it be the craziest thing to go right through our life having all this available to us and never have them tapped into it? Sure, I know we pray for people and they don't get well sometimes. I know that. But I'm not going to let that stop me from stepping out and believing God for the things he does want to do. But I will also have compassion for when I don't know because I don't have all the answers. I'm not God. But it's not going to stop me stepping out We've got to see God do great things. I want Edinburgh to see the God I believe in. I know he's like that and I want them to see he's like that. 
And I want, them to, I want them to see it in your workplace, in your street. I want them to know, man, you're hanging around that person, stuff happens. There must be a real God. I want Edinburgh to have that experience and a God wants to do it through you. So first of all, it's power to witness. It says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, Jesus said to his disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, the apostles, I mean, they were witnesses. They did what Jesus did, said. They waited, the Holy Spirit came on them, and the apostles witnessed, absolutely. But let me tell you this, the apostles, they saw Jesus resurrected. But that wasn't the thing that made them so powerful. It wasn't the fact that they were eyewitnesses of this Jesus who they'd seen die on the cross, they'd seen him rise, so you think, well, you've got a pretty convincing argument. It wasn't the convincing argument that changed lives. It wasn't just because they're effective because of their eyewitnessness of them. It was the fact of the presence of the Holy Spirit on them that totally changed the hearers. What, I mean, the hearers had no evidence. The hearers hadn't seen the resurrection. The people who heard the message, they hadn't seen the stuff the apostles had seen. But what was it that was so, what was it that changed them? It was the aliveness of the message. There was something of vitality in the message. Those words weren't just empty words. Because every time those words came, when they spoke about Jesus, there was an aliveness in the message that came from the power of the Holy Spirit on them that was able to transform people's lives. And you and I have the exact, I mean, we, we, I don't, maybe some of you have seen the risen Christ. It's very possible that you can. I know many Muslim friends have had experiences where they've seen the risen Jesus. I believe you can have that. But most of us haven't had an experience where we've seen the risen Jesus. But nevertheless, the, he's so alive. And the aliveness of him is on us by the power of the Spirit. And when we're communicating about him, the power of God, not our first-hand experience, but the power of God witnessing to the truth of what we're saying is what changes people's lives. I mean, Paul, when he came to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2, 5 said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the, God's power. <clears throat> Paul, and, I mean, Paul of all people could have been pretty eloquent when he spoke. He was trained at the highest level of Judaism before he became a believer in Christ. And yet here he was there just saying, honestly, do you know what? I wasn't that good at speaking. I, I wasn't that clever when I came to you, but God was there and that's what changed you. And I don't want you to believe in Jesus just because I'm so persuasive. Or I don't want your friends to believe in Jesus just because you had a good argument. I want Because pe- then it, they won't get the real thing and it won't last. <clears throat> I want people to believe in Jesus because we have spoken. And at the same time as us speaking, God spoke through us. And they were changed forever. And you know what it was like when it happened to you. And we want to that, give that experience to someone else around us. See, the resurrection is a supernatural claim. And the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is now on you to make that resurrection claim real for others around you. See, I'm not alone on this stage. He is here. He's on me. He's in me. And you're not alone in your workplace or in your family or in your community. He's in you. He's on you. He wants to do something through you. I quoted this last week. Let me read it to you. John 16, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This is him speaking to his disciples. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Remember I said earlier it was the ascension that triggers the outpouring? That's what he's saying here again. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Look at how he says it. I tell you the truth. Why did he start it with that? Because he thought, you're not going to believe me here. <laughs> you know? So he has to invent it. I'm going to tell you the truth. Right? This next thing I'm going to say is the truth. Uh, because they wouldn't have believed that. They would have thought, it's to, your, it's to our advantage that you go away, Jesus. If we're honest, and you had the opportunity today to be one of the 12, would you not do that? Would you not think, man, that would really keep me on the straight and narrow having Jesus right there. I'll just... Right, let's follow Jesus. And we think, no, it's not to your advantage you go away. It's to our advantage that we're with you and you're there. But Jesus said, no, I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. You see, you imagine how, how it would keep you together in life. You have a crazy, a bad thought, right? Jesus looks at you and says, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> okay. Right? Imagine witnessing for Jesus. This is him. This is him. Uh, I mean, we think it's to our advantage that he stays, but no, he said it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. And it says, and when he comes, and when he, when he comes, will convict the world. What does he mean when he comes? Because actually, since Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit's been on the earth. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? He's everywhere, right? So what does it mean when he comes? Well, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit in general in the atmosphere of the world because the Holy Spirit, absolutely, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. But what he's talking about is this. When he comes and takes up residence in your life, that's when the world will be convicted. It's not that the Holy Spirit's atmosphere in general convicts the world. The Holy Spirit's always been in the world. It's when the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence in your life, and you start living God's way, and you start speaking words, and you start looking at people with love, and showing acts of kindness, and praying for the sick, and it's telling about Jesus who died and rose. It's when that stuff happens, then you're not alone. Then all of a sudden, the world's like, that's real, that's real. And you know what? They might react against it because it's so real, but it's so real. And eventually, they'll be wooed to him because he loves them. He comes, he will convict the world. It's interesting. Day of Pentecost, the other word used for that festival was the uh, first fruits or the Feast of Weeks. Same festival, first fruits. And what they would do is they would offer the first fruit of their harvest. It was the first part of the harvest. They would say, thank you, God, on that moment. And it it was God who chose that the Holy Spirit would come on Pentecost. You think, oh, he did that because that's what Pentecostals are all about, isn't it? No, he didn't do it for that reason, okay. Uh, anyway, the first fruits is about harvest. He chose that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the day that they celebrated harvest. Why? He's in you to convert, but he's on you to empower, and you'll be my witnesses. Because there's a global harvest. There's a global harvest. There's thousands upon thousands of people in our city thousands who don't know him and I'm just not contented that we know him I'm just not, I'm not contented that I know him I'm thrilled that I know him but I, I just want to I just God I want to do everything I can I want 
to empower God's people to do everything they can in the power of the Spirit to touch the lives of people around us. How could we not see that happen? You know, the other reason he's on you, be power for great works. You see, Jesus, when he was doing those three years of ministry, and we see all the things he did, when he was doing those three years of ministry, typically he did everything under the anointing and the power of the Spirit. I say typically because sometimes he did it as God. You know, so when he turned to the man and said, your sins are forgiven you. And he says, uh, but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said, rise up and walk. He did that as God, right? But typically he did the miracles as a man, fully God, fully man, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Therefore giving us an example of this. You're just people. And the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus can be upon you. And therefore, the same results Jesus saw can be your results. And it seems like an unreality. It seems beyond us. It seems almost unhumble to even contemplate that could be right. But Jesus himself said that, John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, again, it's that thing, you're not going to believe me, so I'm going to say truly, truly before I say this bit. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, anyone believe in Jesus? Oh, good. We should call this church. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I go to the Father. And what happened when he went to the Father? It triggered an outpouring. That's why. Greater works than these. Who would like personally to see someone raised from the dead? I would love to see that. I've seen cancers disappear instantly. I've seen arthritic joints instantaneously healed. Uh, a lady is coming this morning reminded me uh, a couple of, a few years ago, 2009, she said, you remember you prayed for me at the end of a service? She said, the lady in front of me, you were praying for her and she was instantly healed and she jumped up like that. And then I was the next in line and I thought, wow, that'd be great. Imagine you prayed for her. Oh, I'm going to get prayed for her now. <laughs> it's great. Time for results. I've seen that stuff, and many of you have seen that stuff. But it's just the tip of the iceberg of what that verse is saying. I mean, we know the full weight of that verse we haven't seen yet. And I just think we can see it. I mean, you can see great things happen by the power of God. And here's the weird thing. I mean, Mark was up here sniffling away earlier, right? I reckon Mark's probably going to be praying for the sick at the end of the service, and some of you are going to get healed as Mark prays for you. Don't breathe in as you're getting prayed for, though, right? (laughs) But that's the amazing thing. Some, I remember there was a healing meeting we had on, and, I, and usually my friend Ivan does healing meetings, but this time I thought, I'm going to stir myself and challenge myself. I'll do a healing meeting. I did a healing meeting a few years ago in our, service, in our church. And I remember the week before the healing meeting, I got hit with this flu, and I felt really awful. I thought, this is rubbish. This is me feeling rubbish, praying for people, and God's doing miracles. So I, had, I don't have all the answers, right? I just know it's real. And I believe even in your place of vulnerability and weakness, God can use you. Greater works. Okay, what's the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me read you the first time this Holy Spirit was poured out after the ascension. Acts 2, 1 to 8. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were there, folks, for the Jewish festival. People just gathered from all over the place three times a year in Jerusalem for Jewish festivals. So that's why they were there from all around the world. The crowd came together, some in bewilderment, and were bewildered because each of them were hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not these, all these men speaking Galileans? Galileans were hillbillies. They're people from the Northern Territory. Simpletons, right? They were saying, these are uneducated people, and yet they're speaking eloquently languages that, that, that usually infers on education. How is it that each one of us hears them in our own language in which we were born? Here begins first of five instances in the book of Acts when this experience happens, when the Holy Spirit came upon people and very similar things happened. This time here is in Acts chapter 2. This is in the day of Pentecost. The next one's in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. The next one is in Acts chapter 9 where Saul, who became called Paul, was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The next one's in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius and his friends at Caesarea got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the last one's in Acts chapter 19 where the people in Ephesus got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what you discover in those instances is three out of the five instances, it's crystal clear they spoke in tongues. Two out of the five instances, it infers the possibility that they might have. For example, with Paul, it doesn't say he spoke in tongues right there and then, but Paul in Corinthians 14 says, I speak in tongues more than you all. So obviously it was part of his life. And uh, we see the the other one in in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, I think it is, where it didn't say, it didn't note, it didn't say what actually happened. It just said they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it says, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was through laying on of the apostles' hands, he said, I want to do that. What did he see? I don't know. But three out of the five times, it's crystal clear they saw tongues. On one of the occasions, there was tongues and prophecy. And incidentally, tongues is a supernatural utterance in a foreign language. Prophecy is just supernatural utterance in your own language. So when tongues is interpreted, it is prophecy. Okay, that's why God said, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Okay, tongues is just prophecy in a different language. And God is pouring out his spirit. And, and there was, an, the point is this, there was always an evidencing. And typically it was speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, that's the Jews, who were with Peter, were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. I mean, they weren't expecting that. They thought this was just for the Jews. But they were amazed, for it had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know that? For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So for the Jewish people, it's evident here that the evidence for them was, wow, you're speaking in tongues. That's just what happened to us. So what should our expectation be when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, we've only got the Bible to go with. And three out of the five times, it's really clear that they spoke in tongues. Two out of the five times, it probably likely they did. It's not crystal clear, though. So what should your expectation be? I, I totally expect you're probably going to speak in tongues. I think that's what's in the Bible. But some have faith just for the Holy Spirit, not for tongues. Well, that's okay. God will work with you on the level of your faith. And you're going to get an experience with God. So, but I believe you can expect more than that, though. I believe, honestly, I believe 
that it's available to everyone that you can speak in tongues. You know, people will say, oh, but Paul says, do all speak with tongues? And the answer is no, they don't. And that's in the context of a gathered church setting. It's not right for people in a gathered church setting or in a prayer gathering, everyone speaking tongues out loud without interpretation. There's a moment where a few people will be moved to do that and they will bring a word and there will be an interpretation. Not all should do that. And that's what Paul's saying. But I do believe it can be a pattern in your life. See, some of you are afraid of the idea that God would overrun you and take control. And I, but I have just to tell you that that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works with you as you yield to him. Spiritism and spiritualism uh, is what, that's control. That's when spirits come and take control of you. That's nothing to do with Christianity. That's the devil's work. It's the devil who wants to possess and control people. That's not God. God wants to put you back in control. So therefore God works with you. There's a human bit to speaking in tongues and there's a God bit to speaking in tongues. Some of you, when you get prayed for, you're saying, right, okay, God, you have to make me speak in tongues. No, no, that's, that's spiritism. That's, that's like occult. That's like, you know, some of you think it's more dramatic if God's controlling you. But you have to understand that's an occultic view. That's not Christianity. Christianity is God puts you back in control and he works with your free will. You see, look, even look at how the Bible came to us. Now, the Quran came to a guy by him being in a cave and an angel appears to him, Right? And he's writing stuff as dictated. That's not how the Holy Scriptures were written. That's not how God's Word was written. God's Word was written by just bods. And you see their personalities coming through. And they just, they just wrote down stuff they heard and they were inspired, sure. But there was a lot of humanness in it as well. And yet it's, it, it, that is the Word of God. God works with you. So you say, well, God, I'll, I'll just be prayed for and then you, you speak through me, God. No, no, listen. God doesn't speak with tongues. You speak with tongues. The miracle isn't that you speak. That's what you usually do. Some of you do it too much. The miracle is that when you speak, a language comes that you didn't originate. That's the miracle. But you speak as the Spirit gives you utterance. That's what Acts chapter 2. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. We see this throughout. This is constantly how miracles happen in, in the whole of the New Testament. You see, uh, you know, laying hands on the sick. Who does that? Does God do that? No, you do that. But do you do the miracle? No, no, God does that. Walking on the water. I know we probably haven't done this. But the apostle Peter was in a boat and Jesus said, come. So what did Peter do? He came. Oh, he stepped out. And it was solid, right? But it took Peter to actually step out. And you see this right through the Bible, the loaves and the fishes. Jesus blessed the loaves and the fishes and he gave it to the disciples. What do they do? Wait for it to multiply before we do anything. No, no. They broke it and started handing it out and the miracle happened as they were doing it. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 15. I would, I'd just become, in fact, I just turned 16. I'd become a Christian in the summer 1991. It was winter time. And I'd been reading some of these verses I'd read to you. And I was so blown away by it and I suddenly realized how on earth could I live another day without the empowering of the Holy Spirit? And I went over to my friend's house and I asked him to pray for me. And I got, and he didn't know, we had no, we weren't in a church that believed this stuff. We just found it in the Bible. And I just, I just got on my knees in his bedroom and he placed his hands in my head and he said, God, we've read these verses. Please do for Peter what he's read about in these verses. 
Then I had an experience where I just experienced the presence of God very strongly in the room. Something happened in, about here. And I just, it was just the most natural thing. I just knew I had to speak. And as I spoke, a language came that I had never learned. And I was fluent in. You know, some people are, they kind of start speaking and what's that? Well, imagine you were Chinese and you got the gift of tongues and the gift of tongues you were given was English. And imagine you start praying in tongues and the tongues, for us, we could understand it because we speak English, okay? And unless you're just bluffing and you're, just, you're nodding when everyone else is nodding and right, we speak English. Um, so, and we heard that person praying the Lord's Prayer. They'd say, our Father who is in heaven. And all they say is, our Father, our Father, our Father. And we recognize, oh, that's, that's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. But they say, our Father, our Father. And it doesn't make any sense to them. They're thinking, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like anything. And that's sometimes like what it's in speaking tongues. Maybe you get a couple of words or a phrase and it's repeating. But you need to understand, it's, it's, you just have to go with God. I, don't, I can't manufacture it for anyone. I just know what happened to me. And listen, I want some of you to have it this morning. I want you to have that experience this morning, right here in this room, in the next few minutes. I want this to be, it wasn't your experience before you came to the room. I want it to be your experience as you leave this room. And those who haven't met God, who you're, you're like a boiler with a pilot light on, I think you can meet him. He's here right now. You can meet him and you can be changed forever. He loves you beyond what you could ever imagine. And he's paid the highest price on the cross to save you. Don't resist him anymore. Come to him, let him save you. How do you get baptized with the Holy Spirit? A, you need to believe the promise. God said, Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's a promise. And it's not like you have to persuade or mollycoddle God or plead with him. It's a promise. It was his idea. You didn't come up with it. He came up with it. He wants to do this for you. Believe the promise. Secondly, ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, which of you fathers, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? In other words, you ask for something and he gives you something dangerous? No, no, you won't get something dangerous. You get something nourishing. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you've got to ask him. You believe the promise and then you say, please let this be mine. Reinhard Bonnke, the great evangelist in Africa, said this, when I was a boy, I longed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit more than for my daily bread. Are you that hungry? Or are you just kind of, oh, well, if it's, if it's, it's all right for some folks, but I'm not bothered. No, no, well, listen, have you realized what was available to you at huge expense through the cross? You don't get the, you don't get the Holy Spirit just because you're so good. You get the Holy Spirit as a huge gift at high expense by the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. Don't be on the fence. Be hungry. See, get someone to lay hands on you. Typically, three times out of the five times in the book of Acts, people are baptized in the Holy Spirit when another believer laid hands on them and asked them, asked God for it to happen for them. D, receive the gifts. There's a moment where, you know, when, when someone, I know when someone gets saved, right? I know what's happened. They stop praying, God, please save me. And they start thanking him, God, thank you for saving me. You know they've been saved then, right? They go from saying, please save me, please save me, please, every week, please save me, please save me. Stop. 
he heard you the first time. You say, now thank you for saving me. Thank you for clearing all my debt. Well, you same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a moment coming where you do ask, absolutely. But then you just believe the promise and then you receive. And you know that happens because you stop saying, please, 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 he's heard you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be persistent. Being persevering is good, okay? But there's a moment comes where it's actually appropriate just to thank him and to worship him. And in that atmosphere, forgetting yourselves, fixing your eyes on him, just wait and see what God does. And let me end with this. For those of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to live full. Live full. Live with a constant, ongoing experience of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek language, the literal translation is, Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We leak? Does that mean we got a little bit of God, then we get a bit more? I don't think so. That doesn't sit right theologically with me. You either got God or you ain't, right? I don't think that's what it means. Here's what it means. It's not like, well, I was filled then and I was filled then and I was filled then. It's not really like that. It's more akin to you're standing in the river. It's like you're standing in the, That's what it means to be being filled. You just, you've got in the river and you've stayed in the river. You're standing in the flow. It's not like you just jumped in and jumped out. It's you're, you're in it. And you're feeling it. And it's a constant flow in your life. That's why it says, in, when Peter, he says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, spoke. Well, he had been filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was currently full of the Holy Spirit. He was in the river. End with this verse, John seven thirty-eight. Whoever believes in me, does anyone believe in Jesus? As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Remember the ascension triggered the outpouring? Rivers of living water from your innermost being. The Holy Spirit will be poured out in you, and this is the picture of a believer. There will be rivers of living water flowing through you. Be being filled. So who are you today? Are you the boiler without the pilot light? then why not come to Jesus today? And I'll give you a moment, in a mo- an opportunity in a moment to make that decision. Are you the boiler? You've got the pilot light, but you're not changing the temperature. Well, maybe it's time to ask God for this experience that the Bible describes as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I understand if you've come from a background where this has not been the teaching you've heard, all I would simply ask is this. I didn't believe this because this is what this church believes. I found this stuff in the Bible when I was in a church that didn't believe this. I had no expectation for this, and yet it became real for me as I found it in the Bible. Have a childlike faith. Why on earth would we assume God has changed? Why on earth do we assume that God wants to be less powerful 2,000 years on when the world's need has never been greater? Have a childlike faith. Just read the Bible. Read it with fresh eyes. And just believe it. Then say, all right, I'm going I'm to have that then. And so today, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're in this room just now. And God, I know that you love every single person here. And you know them. 
you created them. You brought them into this life <clears throat> and you've always had a plan for them. And right now, Father, I'm asking that you do great things for these people today. God, I'm asking that we would leave the room differently. I'm asking that we'd have an experience. And God, you being God, I know some people make these things weird, but I know you're not weird. I know you're not in the slightest bit weird. I know you're amazing, you're safe, and Jesus, actually, you're very cool. And I believe, Jesus Christ, we can have a full experience of the Holy Spirit without becoming strange, without becoming weird, without having to go and buy our tambourines. But we can have an awesome, true experience of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can still be credible in the world that's so desperate for God. And I pray you come and do that among us. Fill people with your power. Touch people deeply, I ask. But first, God, before we pray for that, I want to pray for anyone, God, who doesn't know you. And I pray just now you give them the strength and your love convict them. Draw them right now, I pray. Help them to make a decision for you. God doesn't force anything on anyone. If you're here today and you know that you don't know God, but today you're saying, I want to know God, then God being the gentleman that he is doesn't force it upon you, but he gives you the choice. <clears throat> so if you're here today, you're saying, Peter, I want to know God today. I want to come into a real relationship with him and I don't want to live for self anymore. I want to live for God. I believe Jesus did die for me in the cross. I believe he did rise again and I'm willing to be his follower from now on. What will happen as you make those choices is you will come alive. You will come alive for all eternity. A flame will be lit in your life that will never go out. And it's all God's work. So if you're here today and that's, that's the decision you're making, then I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me just now. If you're saying, Peter, that's what I want to do. I want to give my life to the Lord. Then I invite you just now just to pray this prayer with me. Just under your breath. Just this time, not out loud, just under your breath. Repeat this after me and pray this to God. Pray with me, pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you because you love me, you died on the cross. Thank you, you rose again on the third day. And you did all that so I could be saved and forgiven. Today I give my life to you. I ask that you would become Lord of my life. I want to be your follower for the rest of my days. Thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child. Amen. I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.